You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Show, episode 234. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook, and keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Artake segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. Once again, we have a busy show planned for you this week on the heels of our final DIY stock investing webinar of 2023, which are still available on demand. We answer for your stock our takes. Aaron begins by going back to back on restaurant investments, answering a question on A&W Royalty Income Fund, AW.UN on the TSX, the famous root beer selling quick service burger joint, which sports a 6% plus yield. The yield is strong, and Aaron looks into whether the company has any room for growth going forward. I will be answering a listener question on a stock which should be no stranger to our clients, having been a long-term buy for well over a decade in our Canadian small-cap growth stock research, Boyd Group Services, Inc., symbol BYD on the TSX. Boyd is one of North America's largest operators of non-franchised collision repair centers, with approximately 130 locations in Canada and over 724 sites in the U.S. for a total of over 850 centers all told. This stock reported solid Q3 results, and a listener asks if we're still positive on a name that is now close to $250, and we recommended it originally at 250 or under 250 Brett answers a viewer question on Pivotry Inc., symbol PVT on the TSX Venture, and ended to end provider of e-commerce supply chain and master data management services to over 180 large and mid market retailers, branded manufacturers, wholesalers, and distributors in North America. The stock is down 45% year to date. And a viewer wants to know if we saw any improvement in the just reported Q3 numbers. Finally, in our Your Stock Our Take segment, Brennan answers a question on Pollard Banknote Limited, symbol PBL on the TSX, which serves the lottery, instant ticket, and charitable charitable gaming markets, primarily in North America. The stock is up 66% this year, following a significant drop from mid-2021. Is the recovery sustainable? Brennan will let you know. All right, let's get to the show and welcome my co-host, Mr. Aaron Dunn and the Killer Bees, Brett and Brennan. How are you guys doing? Have a good weekend. You betcha. I did. I did indeed. Yeah, the Oilers uh, got their first dub under uh, the new coach, so uh, that was nice to see. That's monumental. Vancouver Vancouver continues to be on an absolute tear. Celebration for you out there. (laughs) The Canucks apparently to to kit the kids out there. They're a wagon. That's what that's what (laughs) that's what I've been telling you. You've been calling them, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, again, it's a small sample size. It's funny. I had a, a chat with a client today and he, he said, uh, and I said to him, it's still a small sample size, but it certainly is more fun watching them uh, win a few games than getting uh, Actually, spanked I think I might for go 11 years. Game, so. nice. Well, that they're game, they're well. sure to lose. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing is if I, yeah. if I start getting Don't go. Then that's gonna be Don't the go. 
of any street. Don't so go. Maybe I should just stay away. It's true. It's been it's been good. Although you weren't there during a lot of the losing, anyways. You, you you got out of there quickly, right? Smart. It's like a stock that's going down. Aaron gets out quickly. He's gone. The uh, the eleven years we sat there and waited uh, on this company. Although I complained all the way, so you did. Yeah, yeah. It's true. Uh, just on a final note, our live DNR DIY webinars from the past two weeks, they are available on demand. If you go to the website, you can still grab those now. Um, uh, those are our last of the year. So we are uh, happy to have those completed in the bag. And now you can watch any of them there. There's seven stock recommendations within those. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, we want to get right to it. Like I said, busy show. We've got four Your Stock R takes. Aaron's going to go, you're back to back here. Last week it was uh, QSR, right? And uh, this That's week right, you yeah. are going yeah. with AW. For that McDonald's. And oh my God, it's back to back to back. I know. I'm, not, I'm actually not doing this intentionally. Three restaurants in a row. I realize you just cover the quick service industry. Yeah. for AW that. I'm, I'm, you know, three consecutive weeks on restaurants, all fast food, by the way, quick service. So it's, uh, it's not intentional. It's just, uh, it's just happening. So it's strange, but suddenly you got a hankering for all of those brands right after doing it. And you're out, you know, dining on McDonald's, maybe the Popeye's before, right? Like, and yeah. that's why it's just leading me to the stock. Probably. So in the case of, um, in the case of A and W, we actually, we do a weekly Q&A for our clients and the client actually We get questions on it, yeah. Yeah, yeah so um, I figured, you know, this is a company we actually covered as a buy recommendation many years ago. Um, this is when the yield was much higher than it is right now. But we've, we've been following it since then quite closely. So I figured why not just take a, a look because they had just put out their Q3 results, um, kind of get a sense of what the growth outlook is like going forward and if there's an opportunity and then talk about it on the show. So... I'm ready to go here if you guys are ready to listen. Go. You bet. All right. Excellent. So I don't know if we're ready company, to listen, but go. <laughs> just, yeah, just turn off your volume and yeah. go to sleep, take a nap. Okay. So the company we're going to talk about is A&W Royalty, Revenue Royalties Income Fund, AW.UN. Trades at $31. It's a 500 million market cap company, and it pays a very nice yield of 6.2%. So this is actually a, a somewhat unique company in the Canadian market. They are a trust and they were established to invest in A&W trademarks. So what they do, um, as per their name, revenue royalties, is they get a 3% royalty on the revenues of all A&W restaurants in the royalty pool, which right now is 1,037 restaurants as of the end of the third quarter that was just reported. So A&W, this is the second largest burger chain uh, in Canada, they have locations all over the country. Um, very strong brand. Of course, everybody knows A&W. It's right up there with the big brands like McDonald's. Uh, and it's very interesting situation that A&W has in terms of the way they make money. So you, or A&W royalty revenue. So this is not actually A&W. They don't own the restaurants. Um, A&W ro revenue royalties, AW.UN, which we're talking about, just owns rights to the brand, that 3% royalty on revenues. Now, when we look at the the long term chart of this this company, it's done fairly well over time. We can go, we can trace its performance back to two thousand six. Very big drop during the pandemic, and this is because most of the restaurants essentially shut down for a time being. They had a pretty good recovery, but just just uh, recently, um, over the the last eighteen months or so, they they pulled back. 
So year performance, um, you know, it's uh, fairly flat for the year, a lot of volatility, but down since April. So we want to uh, we want to take a look at the company. They just taken out their Q, put out their Q3 results. Take a look at what the opportunity is going forward. So same store sales growth in the third quarter was 1.1%. That was down from 4% in the third quarter of last year. Now, the same store sales growth in 2022 was much higher because there was a lot of recovery from the pandemic where there is a big drop. But, um, you know, this is a company that has generated fairly consistent same store sales throughout the period where we've been following them. A number of restaurants in the royalty pool uh, that increased by a net number of 22 restaurants, so up 2.2% year over year, a 3.8% increase in royalty income and 2% increase in distributable cash flow per unit. So this is really the metric that we look at mostly, distributable cash flow per unit. The purpose of AW.UN is really to pay an income distribution to its, its unit holders, its investors, and then to grow that distribution over time. And payout ratio, 81% for the quarter. A pretty good payout ratio for a company like this. Um, really, though, I would look at the nine months um, as a better gauge of how the company is performing. So same store sales grow 3% for the nine month period. Uh, royalty income up 5%. Distributable cash flow per unit up 9%. And then the payout ratio of just under 93%. And this is really likely where we're going to see the payout ratio. Now, we're going to see it you know, generally in that mid 90 percentile range. Sometimes it can it, it can drop lower um, in a particular quarter, but this is a company that really the purpose is to distribute nearly all of its income out to its investors. So normally when we're talking about a business where there's a lot of um, capital that they want to reinvest, you know, we're, we'd be looking at payout ratios in the 60 to 80% as being more reasonable. But for a, a royalty streaming company, you know, you're, you're generally going to see that 85, 90, 95% payout ratio range. And that's Okay, because that is the purpose of the entity. Now, one of the main sources of growth for this company is same store sales. And in that regard, AW has, has done a very good job over time. Fairly consistent, positive same store sales growth over a long term time horizon. This chart here dates back to 1917, but we could even go before that. Now, a lot of that comes down to um, them being very innovative with their menu. So it was a big boost to them when they added the Beyond Meat burgers. Uh, in 2018 and this was when you know that was you know all the rage back then right but they they make other um modifications to their to their menu on a regular basis um really trying to essentially acknowledge current trends um and this is part of the reason why same store sales growth has been strong now in some periods it gets upwards around you know 10 percent, even to the teens that's not sustainable um, in 2021, we can see here 14% same store sales. That was really recovery from the 14% drop that they experienced in, in 2020. A number of restaurants as well uh, is another way that they generate growth. So just increasing the restaurants and the royalty pool. And we can see over time, there's just a, a gradual increase in the number of restaurants. So currently 1,037 up from 1,015. Um, in 2022, 994. So just every year they're adding to that, that royalty pool. And then tracking back the, the annual distributions and payout ratio. So, you know, really, this is a company that you're investing in for yield, can almost be seen as, as a yield co, um, although they are expanding the size of their, their pool. And as I said, that the same store sales growth also adds, but 
you know, you, you want to, it's, it's, it's really there to maximize that income distribution. Um, and the income yield right now is just over 6%. So generally pretty uh, consistent growth over time. Uh, we can see the payout ratio over the last 10 years or so has been, you know, close to that 95% range, which is where we would expect it. Um, and they're growing their distributable cash flow per unit, at least over the past 10 years, at about a rate of 3% per year. So reasonably speaking, I think that the 3 to 5% is really what we should expect from the company. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily um, expect, look at this as, as a company that can maintain growth beyond that level, at least for any sustained period. And right now, based on distributable cash flow of about 194 per unit um, for the trailing 12 months, it's trading at about 16 times, which we consider to be a reasonable valuation. So our take on A&W, uh, we, we do really like that revenue royalty stru structure. It's attractive. And when I say it's attractive, what I mean is that it's a very clean structure. So they're not, they don't have to worry about the operating expenses of the business um, or a lot of the inflation that impacts those expenses like wage inflation, inflation on equipment. They're getting a royalty right off of the top line and there's really no cleaner a structure than that. Um, there's not really a lot to the business in terms of analyzing the balance sheet, very little debt in their capital structure. They really just exist to, um, to get that royalty off of A&W and to provide a, an income yield to, to, their, to their investors. So it's, it's, it's very clean, clean structure. Um, we do see consistent growth. That's in the number of stores, consistent growth in cash flow, consistent growth every year in the income distribution. And of course, it's a well-recognized brand. One of the reasons, and I've said this in the last couple of weeks, that I like the quick service restaurants or the fast food restaurants is that they generally have a reputation for being more recession resistant. Um, you're getting a lot of more bang for your buck from these quick service restaurants in terms of calories per dollar spent. Um, so they, they're not as, as volatile generally as the mid-range restaurants, the, the sit-down restaurants. Um, and then, of course, reasonable valuation, attractive yield, they, they have all of that. So there's a lot of things that I like about the company uh, that could make it a good investment. Now, on the negative side, although there's there's consistent growth, it's, it's really pretty moderate. So we're looking at that single digit percentile growth, percentage growth over time um, in terms of, you know, what you're going to get from a rising income distribution. Uh, Q3 results, they did look a little bit weaker, not necessarily a big deal, but something to monitor. Uh, same store sales, 1.1%. That's lower, certainly, than what we would expect um, over time. Uh, they do have an attractive dividend, dividend yield, but it is really competing right now, at least in the near term, with bond yields. Um, being that it is a, a relatively slow growth business, um, we're seeing a, a valuation that's lower than what we've seen for most of the last 10 years. Um, because, uh, you know, 6% three years ago was incredibly attractive. Now, when you can get, you know, 5% plus from a GIC, it looks less attractive. Now, of course, the difference is that when you reinvest your capital from a bond when it matures or a GIC when it matures, you don't know what your rate is going to be. And in fact, there's a very good chance five years from now, it's going to be much lower than it is than you're getting uh, currently. Whereas with a dividend grower like A&W, um, you should actually get a growing income distribution over that period of time. So that uh, in the long term differentiates it significantly. But in the near term, this is what investors are looking at. Now, that could be a long term opportunity because as interest rates drop, the company starts to look a lot more attractive um, and that that uh, that valuation increases, um, which would be good for for 
long-term investors, but in the near term, this is part of the reason why it's been struggling in the market. So our take, we do think it is a solid long-term income producer. It's not what we would consider a growth stock, but for uh, investors that are looking to, to own it for the long term, we think that you know taking a position in it would not be unreasonable. It's not currently a recommendation of ours right now. Partly that is due to the lack of growth, but I mean, I would say that it's 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 close. I mean, it's certainly something I wouldn't argue with a person if they wanted to take a, a small position in the stock, um, just to be invested in a in a strong brand with a uh, solid yield and a growing distribution. And, and most story. importantly, it remains one of my, I think my favorite of the quick serve restaurants in terms of actually dining it. So that is an important factor. Well, that is an important factor. Yes. Uh, of the of the three companies you recommended, and a couple of them have several brands, I believe, um, which is your favorite to eat at? That's a critical question here. First, Aaron. It's a, it's, it's a I'm going to be honest with you, though. McDonald's. I don't oh. eat much fast food. Yeah, but I would I, I would probably go to McDonald's over any of the others. Yep. Brandon? Um, probably A and W. And like just like an insider insider tip, get their fries as extra crispy. Ask for them like extra oh. crispy. Okay. I find that they're so much better. One of my friends gave me a tip tip on that. Now uh, you're up, Brett. Your your fave. Uh, unfortunately, I agree with Brennan. I like A and W. Oh, three against one, Aaron. I just feel like the there you go. What's your second favorite investment? I would probably, I would probably pick A and W over the other three. Okay, good. Well, that's because we're literally funding your investment. But you know, generally speaking, it's very rare that I get fast food. Maybe it's just because McDonald's are more accessible. But it's been a while since I've had A and W. I've had McDonald's. I tell you, the kids still the marketing. They still love the Happy Meal. They still love, you know, the, the well, it's toy. Well, impulse buy too, right? Like oh, it's yeah. usually like yeah. the time that we w- that I would get it. Like in terms of fast food, really, my family is our is a Wendy's family. If we're gonna get okay, fast yeah. food, and yeah. there's a Wendy's, I like Wendy's too. That is our that's our restaurant of choice. But you know, if we would eat at McDonald's, it's usually because we're coming home from some event or like out to see family or something and there's one every five feet food and there's a mcdonald's right there so yeah yeah one thing that i'd like to say too on a and w's marketing like this is like a test that because i didn't know that they were they they were started in california i thought you know from a young age that they were always a canadian company almost everybody thinks they're canadian it is yeah which is like what they've done so well marketing where like you know, go to somebody and ask them, you know, where do you think, you know, A&W started? And a lot of people will say in Canada, um, you know, and, you know, I, even my dad asked or I, I asked that to my dad and he was shocked, you know, when I told yeah. him that it started in California. So, you know, just what a great marketing strategy as well. Or they've it's done become so part well. of Canadiana kind of. Mm-hmm. Are there still yeah, A&Ws in California? Oh, I, I would assume so, but I don't know. I but that sure. is that is where the roots are for sure. Yeah. yeah. And and yeah. most would just associate it with Canada completely. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's move on to uh, another company that started in Canada. Well, this actually not another because ANW didn't, but a company that actually started and uh, has its roots in Winnipeg uh, where the the base of this business is. It's the Boyd Group Services Inc, symbol BYD on the TSX. $246, that's where it trades at, $5.2 billion market cap. The company uh, is one of North America's largest operators of non-franchise collision repair centers. The company operates about 130 locations in Canada, 
under the trade names Boyd Auto Body and Glass and Assure Automotive, as well as 724 plus sites in the U.S. under the Gerber Collision and Glass brand names. That's about 850 centers in North America. They just released their Q3 results. Revenues were up 17.9% to 737.8 million. Same location growth was about 11.8%. Adjusted EBITDA was up 28.7% to 94 million. And uh, adjusted net earnings came in at about a dollar per share, up from 56 cents. So good jump there. And net earnings. Uh, came in at around 95 cents, up from 55 cents in the same period last year. Now they're lapping some lower numbers, but still good growth there. Um, on in terms of valuations, forward-looking EV to EBITDA based on this year's expected numbers, they're three quarters or th- yeah, three quarters into the year uh, is about 14.7, which is slightly below the 10-year average. We see it as fair value in the near term. Let's look at some quarterly notes. Now, coming out of a challenging pandemic, Boyd has continued to have success capturing price increases from insurance partners alongside better parts margins. And we're seeing that now. While the acute labor challenges, the company has had very significant labor challenges coming out of the pandemic. Uh, These are now fading. Labor scarcity does remain a challenge, and uh, Boyd continues to work with insurers to secure progressively higher pricing so as to ensure that there is sufficient available labor and operating capacity in the business. On the M&A front, Boyd added 21 locations in the quarter, consisting of four Greenfield and 17 acquired shops, uh, including three small shops, um, or sorry, three shop, a one small multi-service location that had three shops. That's what I'm trying to say. Boyd, strong earnings momentum this year has supported a return to more active M&A and with an initial focus really on just single shops. They had commented, management commented in its quarterly comment call that uh, they suggested the firm is beginning and becoming more open to larger deals once again, as we've seen in the past. So that is something we can look forward to over the next year. Same location growth after seven quarters of double digit same location growth uh, coming out of the pandemic. Boyd is uh, has been tackling those labor and supply challenges, and it sought to improve capacity. Management kind of suggested going forward that it sees some moderate deceleration through the year end. Although we're still looking at a healthy same location growth in between six and twelve percent uh, going forward into next year. Overall, Boyd is a quality capital compounder. Now, we're going to update our clients fully on this company, if I can speak, this week. All right, that ends it. Any comments on Boyd? I actually just had a call with a client who uh, was was a shareholder of Boyd as well. So it's, uh, it's obviously a company that we never get tired talking about but yeah you know one of the things that he had mentioned is that he did take some profits about a year and a half ago and he he referenced the uh, price to earnings ratio he thought that it was getting a little bit expensive and just wanted my feedback on it and I think he was looking at nominal nominal earnings and and you know I talked a little bit about price to cash flow price to adjusted earnings um but I mean it's not been I mean it's not been a cheap stock for a while when we first recommended it it was quite cheap um, but you know, it's definitely a premium 
valuation for a premium company though, right? Would you, would you agree with yeah, that? Yeah. And uh, like on a forward PE basis, it's probably 39 times this year, mm-hmm. but I mean, 28 times uh, next year's, but consistent, solid growth uh, in, you know, earnings, cash flow, revenue, same st- location growth uh, affords the company a higher multiple than you typically see. But it's still like on like an EV basis or a cash flow basis, EV to EBITDA basis, it trades about in line with some of its acquisitive peers. So it's not like it's not like it's traded at astronomical levels or anything like mm-hmm. that. If it had traded at what we would say silly levels at some point, we would have probably taken profit on it. But, uh, you know, the the street estimates right now and the target price right now is around three hundred dollars. Now, we think it's a little aggressive in the near term, but, um, you know, the company, I wouldn't bet against their five year plan looking five years out from now as they've executed on about three five year plans uh, since we originally uh, recommended purchasing it and have recommended it about 30 times since then. So, you know, I, I wouldn't bet against Boyd executing over the next five years. It's not going to go from 230 to $240 over the next, you know, not that type of return, 11,000 plus percent. It's not going to do that, but it will likely beat the market. And that's what you're looking for in a stock. And it's that clear and achievable growth plan that we talk mm-hmm. about a lot. And that's what it has very clear laid out plan for growth and a track record of, of achieving it. So, and then you gain more confidence that management can do it again. Right. And, you know, and they certainly come through a difficult period. I mean, people stop driving basically for, for, uh, you know, eight, you know, six to 18 months, depending on who it was uh, on a, on a relative scale, they just weren't out there. There weren't as many accidents and the inflation that they've faced, uh, the labor inflation and to come out of that now, and have seven straight quarters of same location growth is, you know, a testament to uh, how well the business has been run and and where, you know, we can expect, you know, they're seeing a deceleration, but you're still looking at six to 12% same location growth. So that's organic growth. Uh, that's a good for where they are in terms of uh, the size of the business. That's a good growth level. And now they can start to add larger acquisitions. There are some struggling out there, multiple um, MSOs that have, have you know, seven, eight, 20 locations that they can probably buy at a more opportune price because those companies have been suffering through the same conditions that Boyd has. They don't have the buying power of Boyd. They don't have the, uh, you know, the, the backend system that Boyd can come in and just cut costs when they move into a new location. So th- this is where they can likely go on offense again and, and, and accelerate some growth. All right, now we want to move to, so we can get through this week. I think we had Brett, and you are looking at, it starts with a P, Pivotry. pivotry. I knew that. I know, I'm kidding. You, you but I knew there was the two Ps, Pivotry and Pollard, and you want to look at Pivotry. I looked at them earlier in the year, uh, but now we'll get your take on it uh, with their recent quarterly numbers. All right. So Pivotry, symbol PVT on the TSX Venture, is an end-to-end provider of e-commerce, supply chain, and master data management services to over 180 large and mid-cap retailers, random manufacturers, wholesalers, and distributors in North America. The company supports clients on digital strategy, platform design, and build, implementation, and hosting through to ongoing support. The shares are currently trading at $1.83, down 40%. 4% year to date, nearly the all-time low, which it was only set in late September in intraday trading. The market cap is currently at $49 million. 
Zooming out, however, looking at the stock since its IPO in late 2020, where it opened at just above $10, or I should say closed on its opening day, just above $10, moved up to $13.50 shortly after and has since and has since fallen in price almost continuously. Like many companies at the time, Pivotry really benefited from that euphoria in the market at the time, allowing for just lofty valuations based on revenue growth potential. And now we're really seeing the market come back to reality when it comes to these sorts of companies. But now we're in very market, very different market conditions. So how has Pivotry really come down enough in price to have any value as an investment? So looking at that, it's Q3 2023. Total revenue decreased 14.4% to 21.1 million or 16.5% on constant currency. Managed services, one of its two segments, decreased increased by 9% to 11.2 million. However, what drove the decline was its professional services, which fell 31.2% to 9.9 million. The decline was really driven by the conclusion of projects and delays of additional products. So effectively, they couldn't replace what was expiring with new products projects. Additionally, annual recurring revenue fell 2.9% to 42.8 million as legacy Oracle projects fell off. Similarly, bookings for annual recurring revenue fell to fell to only 0.1 million from 0.6 million and total bookings fell 44.5% to 10.7 million, signaling just overall weaker market conditions. The company had a net loss of 1.8 million compared to a net loss of 3.6 million in the prior year. This is primarily because they were undergoing cost-saving measures in SDNA and RD. Adjusted EBITDA also improved to a positive 0.6 million from a loss of 0.4 million. Shifting to the balance sheet, the company does have a great net cash position, including its niece leases of 9.1 million, but has been coming down almost continuously since its IPO. So we still need to watch that cash balance over time. The company does know it is pushing towards being cash flow positive, which it was positive during the last quarter when you aren't including its earnouts from acquisitions or its uh, normal course issue or bid, which is just buying back shares. Meaning the actual operations of the company were cash flow positive for the quarter, However, once you include CapEx and end up in an adjusted free cash flow, they were still slightly negative, just a hair under a break even of 75000 So while the cash balance is really great, the cash flows are still just in a precarious position. We're not seeing that great leap forward like you want in these companies where they go from a large negative to a large positive effectively overnight. So using the company's adjusted EBITDA, which does exclude share compensation, which we've met, went over the pros and cons of it about a dozen times at this point, as well as it excludes its acquisition costs. It is trading at an EV EBITDA of 14.2 times, so it's not exactly cheap to say the least. So, As well, we can look back using their price to sales as they've obviously not been even EBITDA positive since its IPO. Uh, we can see that after its first quarter as a public company traded at nearly three times sales and has since fallen to under 0.5 sales. Clearly, just it shows the shift in market mentality as the market is now valuing unprofitable stocks completely different than it was only a few years ago. So our take, Pivotry came into the market extremely overvalued. While valuations have come down, it is still not exactly cheap. The company is still unable to be gap profitable and has, has signs of continued market weakness going forward. The company does have a good balance sheet and is nearing positive cash flow, but it isn't 
positive yet. And we'd obviously want to see at least a few quarters of that before really relying on it in any sense. The company's operations do have potential, but the company needs to be able to shift back into their top line growth, which they lost this quarter as they decreased. And as well, they need to start to show a positive bottom line before we go any further. Yeah, without uh, revenue growth on the top line, uh, and then you look down to the bottom line, it's either, you know, on cash flow basis, kind of breaking even, uh, not enough to uh, entice us to be looking at an investment in pivotry at this point. We'd like to see growth on the top line and growth on the bottom line. There's not really much of a bottom line there. They have to prove they can consistently do that. So I think you laid that out quite simply. And at this point, despite uh, getting multiple questions on this company over the last three to four or two to three years, uh, we still continue to take a pass on it. And as you can see, the share price kind of says we've been right to pass on it over the the past several years. All right, Brennan, you want to look at Pollard? Yes, sir. Yeah, you didn't say last but least, but her last. Well, I think they know the way we feel about it. (laughs) Yes, thank you. Um, Yeah, we spare you for one week, but... You know, you oh, wanted okay. to bring it back. So last <laughs> and particularly least, Brennan. Thank you. Thank you. With Pollard. Uh, so yes, uh, Pollard Banknote Limited, uh, PBL on the TSX, currently trading at a price of just over $30, has a uh, $812 million market cap and a dividend yield of uh, 0.5%. Um, So Pollard serves the lottery, instant ticket, and charitable gaming markets, primarily in North America, uh, and it is one of the largest printers of instant tickets in North America with approximately 85% market share in Canada and 22% in the U.S., and the company also serves the U.S. lottery market through its uh, joint venture, uh, Neil Pollard, of which it owns 50%. Um, And in the last quarter... um, for Q3 of 2023, the product breakdown was about 76% lottery, about 14% charitable gaming, and about 10% uh, e-gaming. Now, looking at uh, the last quarter, uh, again, Q3 of 2023, which was reported last week, I believe on November 7th, uh, revenue was up 2.5% year over year to 128.7 million. And this growth was primarily due to an increase in charitable games e-gaming and higher average selling price of tickets, but was offset by a decline in lower instant ticket sales volumes, as the company noted that they're focusing its sales mix to avoid lower margin work. Now, adjusted EBITDA was up 21% to 24.8 million, and net income was up 7.7 or up to 7.7 million or about 29 cents per share compared to a loss for Q3 of last year. And the primary increase for both adjusted EBITDA and net income was an increase in equity income from its 50% joint venture of iLottery, which it grew its revenues uh, from increased sales of Mega Millions and Powerball Jackpot. Um, Looking at the balance sheet, it does remain healthy with no current cash balance uh, right now, but a trailing net debt to EBITDA multiple of about 1.6 times. And just a note, the restricted cash is related to amounts held on behalf of iLottery customers. Looking at the valuation, right now the business trades with a trailing price to earnings multiple of about 26 times and an enterprise value to EBITDA multiple of about 11 times. And just for reference, that PE multiple remains slightly below its 10-year average of about 30 times earnings. So keep that in mind. Now, just looking here to conclude, 
I certainly think that Pollard Banknote is a good business, which has produced tremendous long-term growth with a revenue compound annual growth rate of 11% from 2013 to 2022. Uh, The stock trades with fair valuations given its dominant market share and track record, has a healthy balance sheet, and pays a slight dividend, which it has grown over the years. However, as management voiced in Q3, there was weakness in ticket sales volume, which was only offset by pricing increases which essentially is not a sustainable source of uh, growth over the long term. Now, looking forward to 2024, management noted that the repricing of instant ticket contracts will continue, which could potentially impact demand and hurt volume further as we see consumers tighten their wallets with increased interest rates. Now, overall, I think that the business will likely perform well over the long term, um, but seeing the potential near-term weakness in volume and potential difficult comparables uh, to this year, uh, I think the business trades you know, closer to fair value, at least in the near term. Yeah, so you're saying just under 30 times earnings right now. Yeah. Grew revenue 2% in the last quarter. Definitely a really good business. Um, mm-hmm. Family-owned business, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, um, it you know, it, we'd want to see better growth more consistently for that level of, of evaluation. Yeah, like at least in the near term. And like that, this is the thing is, you know, where are we going to see the economy go? Do, you know, do we see people start to ease off on, you know, lottery you know, or, or gambling? I, I, I'm um, not so sure they would. I mean, lottery mm-hmm. seems to be a very defensive industry. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, it's kind of sad how sticky it is in some respects. Yeah, I, it is. Yeah, yeah. Is I'm, sad, so I'm not, yeah. I'm not worried about the defensive aspects of it. I would just, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of growth. You know, we just want to make sure that there's consistent growth. And then, you know, with the dividend, it does pay that dividend, but half percent, it may as well not pay a dividend. Yeah. 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 And then the I lottery part of it is attractive and it's been growing. Has it it not significantly? Yeah. So, I mean, I believe it's quite profitable for them. So, you know, it's, it's, it's one that we continue to monitor for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good company. I mean, definitely it it seems like a solid business. Like it's unique in that. I'm not aware of any other lotto ticket companies trading cannabis though. No, no. All right. Well, that's going to end it off for this week. Keep your questions coming into our, your stock, our takes segment. If you want us to compare two companies, any companies within your portfolio, you want a sober second look at, we can do that on the show. Um, If you're watching this right now, viewing it on iTunes, smash that subscribe button right now. And we'll continue to provide great content on a weekly basis. If you're listening on iTunes, uh, rate and review us only positive reviews. I know it's hard with Brennan here, but still, you know, positive reviews would be great. And as always, uh, again, you can get all of those tickets. uh, If you want to do the on demand, you can still go to www.keystocks.com and get the on demand webinar. As always, I wish you profitable investing. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.